We've been discussing hell, and uh, that's a heavy subject, okay? And tonight, what we're hoping to do is to be able to just field some questions, allow y'all to ask whatever uh, you want to ask. Um, I don't think we need to run around with a microphone. What I'll make sure we do, if you raise your hand and ask a question, I'll repeat that so that it's on, on the microphone, and uh, that way everybody can hear it. I do want to say here from the from the beginning, though, that we, we need to be reminded as believers that hell is not a light subject. And we are absolutely kidding ourselves if we're going to come in on a nice, casual Sunday and sit in the air conditioning after I just preached a sermon this morning about the devil trying to do all those things, and we're just going to sit here and have a little casual, casual conversation about hell as if it has no bearing or binding or effect upon us or everybody else in this world, okay? If we're going to have a conversation on hell, we need to feel that the Lord Jesus teaches passages like we just read, okay? So let's make sure that here on the outset of this Sunday evening service that we're aware of that, okay? We're talking about something heavy uh, that God has introduced to us through his word, and something that we don't want people to go to. All right? All right, are there any questions to get us started? Now, you know, if you, if you all don't have questions, then we may have y'all home here before uh, <laughs> 6.30, and we don't want to do that. We want this to be a good, edifying night for you all. Um, any questions? Okay, that's a good question. The question is, how hot do you think it is, all right? Um, it was hot today outside. I don't know if you all were out there, but I sat outside in an empty field with no shade for two hours at a soccer game. It was hot. I kept checking my phone just so I could make myself more miserable. I kept saying, Val, the heat index is 102. The heat index, I mean, it's hot out there, right? And I remember a church sign last summer that I saw that said, if you think this is hot, <laughs> wait for hell, right? And uh, that, that, that makes us smile and chuckle, right? But it's kind of that sort of thing that I'm trying to introduce that we need to have a little less of, of thinking, oh, we got hot weather today, hell's going to be hotter than this. When Jesus talks about hell, it is a horrible heat, it's not something that you're trying to make it through. It is intended to be the worst suffering there is. So how hot, um, I don't know how hot it will be, but it is going to be um, unbearable now, and that's the point of it. It is never ending, yes. Yes. That's a great question. So the question was, is it never ending, okay? Uh, we have been hearing that since the first night, so let me remind you on that, okay? Even our passage tonight uses the word eternal, okay? Uh, we started at Matthew chapter 25, and he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, okay? Um, I hope y'all are taking some notes, and really the best thing to do uh, is to just say, you know, there's a lot of things I know, a lot of things I don't know, 
uh, and then just establish yourself on here's what the Bible says, and I'm just going to leave it at that. But here's, here's one that you need to have underlined. It's Revelation 14. Eleven. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. So we're a couple chapters away from that on Sunday mornings, but to answer our question tonight, it's never ending. There's two passages right there, Matthew 25, an eternal fire, and Revelation 14, forever and ever, day and night. Okay. In that Matthew uh, chapter 25 passage, um, when we look in Scripture and we see God described as holy, 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 many times we see things repeated. And in that passage, it actually talks about the eternal nature of, of hell three times. So in, in, verse, uh, in Matthew chapter 25, 41, the, the one that Josh was just quoting that talks about into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. If you read just a little further down in 45, you'll see eternal punishment and then there's the opposite of that, which is eternal life. So the eternal nature of hell would be reinforced, but then we also see the eternal nature of eternal life or eternal, uh, eternal nature of heaven as well. Yeah, those are two good questions. Thank you. What else? That's right. That's a great question. The question is, if you go to hell, do you ever get out? Okay. Matt, you want to start with that? Yeah, I think that um, it's easier for us oftentimes to conceptualize eternity in heaven because that's a place where we as believers long to be. We long to be there. But as I was just discussing in the, in the pa passage there in, in Matthew 25, the same is true of hell. The, it's an eternal place. And in Scripture, when we look for evidences of people not getting out, uh, we, would, we would look at um, Jesus talking about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, uh, which is Luke 16, 19 through 31, as a place where it talks about not only is hell eternal, but there is a separation so that no one can go back and forth between uh, Abraham's side or the place of paradise or place of comfort uh, where uh, Lazarus was and where the rich man was, where he says that he is in uh, torment in, uh, in Hades, in the flame, uh, he says, there's a chasm fixed between us, is what Abraham tells him, and that, that no one can come to you and no one from your side can come here. And the eternal nature of it, we have that directly from Jesus talking about it being a place where uh, it is fixed and it is set. Um, we as believers understand that uh, as we end our physical life, 
that our, our soul or our spirit goes to be with the Lord as believers. And, and that is our eternal home, not because of anything we've done, but because of who Jesus Christ is and because of the righteousness that we have through him. And that is an eternal fixed destination where we will be forever. And the same is true for those who are unbelieving, that um, there is no sense that there is um, time off for a light sentence or time served. Um, There's a concept of annihilationism where some believe that after a particular period of time when a person has paid for their sins that that potentially God does away with them completely or they cease to exist and they're consumed. And scripture doesn't give us uh, that impression of hell. It gives us the impression that it is eternal, that it is a conscious place, that it is a physical place, and that that is where those who have been against God or against his son, Jesus Christ, will be for eternity in the fire and in the flame and the torment of hell. So there's, there, there's nowhere where we're given any indication that, that people would be allowed out or that they would be able to transition from there somewhere else. Uh, it's a final destination. As, as people committed to the truth, it, it's so important for us to always remember uh, that we are to be people that follow the truth, and we are informed by God from the truth. We are people of this book. And uh, the the, the Christian teaching from long ago, carried on into today, faithful to the scriptures, is, as Matt was saying, when you die or when Christ returns, you meet God. And when you meet God, he's the judge, and upon facing the judgment, Passages like this are showing us eternal life or eternal hell. That's what the Bible teaches consistently. That's the truth of God. Now, I do want to point out that we don't have anything that that says you, you get out of heaven or you get out of hell. But there are a lot of man-made teachings and a lot of man-made doctrines and, and man-made religions. Again, this is now anything that didn't come from God. And ultimately, God has revealed one message, and everything else has come from man. The the Word of God is a message from God Almighty, the one true and living God, okay? One message from God. It's the truth. Everything else in the world, not in line with his truth, somebody made up, okay? Somebody made up. So you've got... You've got religions that teach like reincarnation. You've heard that before. You come back in the next life, right? And things like that. You've got, you've got religions that teach layers of reward, and you've got religions that teach layers of punishment. And you, you've, you've heard of those before. A lot of times those are Christian cults that are teaching those things, right? Uh, you, you've got a really, really big one. Um, Slipping my mind right now, what, uh, what, what Catholics always hold to, purgatory, purgatory yeah, purgatory. purgatory, right, which that, that's a very big one, but uh, we, we know that that is not taught in the Bible, and that's a big distinction that we point out all the time. Uh, that's the idea of going to a holding, a holding place, uh, kind of in limbo, and it being dependent upon other things other than the grace and mercy of God, your salvation, right? But these are man-made teachings that we do not have in the scriptures from God. So it comes across as a, as a very simple question, right? Uh, can you get out? But thinking through that, and especially the way people answer that, um, has some more 
complication to it. Now, I would like to say, just as a follow-on to, to what Josh is saying, I think the concept of an eternal hell, these doctrines that he's talking about are people attempting to make God into something that he is not, right? Because when we think about the concept of that, many times people say, well, God is love, right? And a loving God, would he really do those things? And so they seek to tweak what God's word says in order to make God more loving or to make the doctrine more palatable. God doesn't need that, right? We need to, we need to be firm, firmly planted on what God's word says and recognize that any deviation from what God's word says is false doctrine and false teaching. God is loving. God is kind. God does desire that none should perish, as Scripture tells us. God does provide the way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. God has shown us his power and his attributes through creation so that none are without excuse. God has done everything that is necessary for people to be saved so that they would not have to go to an eternity in hell. But the truth is, people love sin rather than God, and they reject his son they reject salvation, and they receive the punishment, not because God is unloving, but because they are unbelieving. So there's no, no need for us to, to try to make God more loving because God is already more loving than we can ever imagine. All right, next question. Yes, sir. So I think first we would say that God is holy. And in God being holy, there's a separation between him and sinfulness. Just the same way that we would say there's a separation between hell and heaven. There's a separation that's fixed between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And if it were not for the fact of God acting on our behalf and sending his son Jesus Christ and imputing upon us the righteousness of Christ through our faith in his death and his resurrection, we would have no hope. So we see God's holiness in that. We see, we see God's justice in punishment. God is a just God. Because he is holy, he is also a righteous judge and can judge rightfully the sins of all mankind, the sins of the world. And he does so without impartiality. He does so without um, being persuaded one way or the other by our works. He does so purely based upon his perfect holy law and who he is. And so we see God's justice in acting and in, in punishing because it would be unjust for him and unrighteous for him and unholy for him not to punish the sins of mankind. So, so that's not an entire answer, but those are some of the things that I see right away. Yeah, yeah God being just is, 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 the, is a huge point in the discussion of hell that we have to understand. But, but really, um, the, these discussions become you know, a, a little bit comical when, when 
human beings are trying to decide if God is just, especially with unbelievers in the world trying to discuss whether, trying to discuss whether they think God is just, is he right, is he fair, should he do this and should he do that. God is the standard of all of that. We're not. To sit back and ask us to do that, decide whether God's God or not, is, is horrible and, and, and wrong of us to do that. We, when we see something unjust, especially when it's happened to us, we want justice right away. If somebody robs a bank, if somebody robs your house, if somebody does a hit and run on your car, we will say right away, I hope they catch them. I, oh, I hope they catch them, right? And we're not wrong in saying, I hope that they catch them, right? We, 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 we hope that they do get caught, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, the worst sins of all, more than robbing the bank or robbing our house or hit and run our car, are the sins that me, you, you all, the world is doing against the beautiful, perfect, holy God. That's the worst sins in the world, are the sins that are against God. And it is good and right for him to have his wrath against it. And it is his glory that he's been patient, right? He didn't collapse this building today or strike us down or all those things that we hear. He's, he's patient with us. But one day that just wrath is coming and he will be absolutely right to do that. And he's already shown it in his son on the cross. I think the challenge that we have as people, as you mentioned, you know, we want that justice right now. I think the challenge that we have as people is that oftentimes when we look upon others, our judgments are not wholly righteous and just, right? Our, our, right, our righteousness is based upon what we believe or what we feel or what we want in the moment. We as people have situational ethics most of the time, right? We, we are not holy. God is holy. So when we're judging things, we are judging things from our own perspective. We're judging things with our human heart. And that's why people struggle with hell is because we want to say it's not fair, right? Just like a little kid on a playground. We want to say it's not fair, right? But we are not the judge of what is fair. And I think the other things that you mentioned, we, you were, you were you're talking about judge, uh, uh, as you were, those are all looking, you're, you're talking about God's grace and God's mercy and his love those are all additional attributes that we see of God on display in all of the things that, that you just talked about. Yeah, yeah. He's complete, he's consistent, and he is just. All right, thank you for that question. What else? Yeah, that's right. We are, we are self-centered. It wasn't exactly a question, but a comment that we often only think about things and how they affect us. And that's right. I'm guilty of that. I think that one of the things uh, that should motivate us as Christians, as we discuss difficult things like this, the doctrine of hell, eternal destinations for people, as Christians, we should be driven to evangelism. We should be driven to prayer. 
We should be driven to going and giving and all of those, those things that are associated with communicating the gospel to our neighbors and our family, those around us. If we believe that hell is a real place, if we believe that it is eternal, if we believe that there is conscious suffering in hell, why are we not more active in evangelizing and sharing our faith with others? Why are we not more active in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world? And I think that's something that we all should think about as we come to discussions specifically about, about hell. Is we believe it's a real place and we believe that people are dying and going there every single day. And my question for you and my question for myself as we've been studying this is, as we've been about that, not out of our own efforts, but what are we doing as we've been gifted by God, as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit? What are we doing to tell others about Christ? What are we doing to have that conversation with them about what their eternal destination is? Are we active in that or are we passive? If we believe this is true, if we believe this doctrine is true, we believe hell is real and that it's eternal, we will have hard conversations with people. We will have awkward conversations with people. We will go to what lengths we need to to make sure that they know that there is an alternative. That Jesus Christ has died on the cross for their sins and he has done everything necessary for them to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. We'll share the gospel with them and we'll do so actively. We'll do so joyfully. And regardless of the opposition that we receive, we know what's at stake. And so I think that's something that should drive us as Christians when we come to these hard things. And that's why I think it's important for us not to try to push the weight, weighty subjects aside and only stick to the feel-good stuff. And I hope that you guys know that we definitely don't do that here. We preach the Word, we preach through the Word, and the reason we do that is so that we don't skip over difficult things because we need to preach the full counsel of God's Word. All right. Another question? Yep. I'm not sure that there's any scripture that I can call to mind right off bat that, that tell about any overseeing of how things are going to operate there. Uh, the only thing that I can tell you definitively from, from, from scripture is that um, in Revelation 20, verse 10, scripture says, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So I'm not sure that there's going to be any sort of hierarchy or any sort of levels or any sort of uh, overseeing and being in charge. But and Scripture tells us that they're going to be tormented night and day forever and ever. And I don't know that there will be much time for overseeing events if, if they're in torment. But uh, I think that that lies outside of what we're, what we're given in Scripture. Um, I think... Satan's, Satan's cause is a lost cause. It is a cause that was lost before it was even started. God knew what was going to occur. God knew how things were going to unfold. God knew how things were going to end. God knows how things are going to go for the rest of eternity. 
And I think Satan's attempts at thwarting any of God's efforts are futile. And um, in scripture this morning that was read, it talks about Satan's time being short. And I believe that it's exactly that. I believe his time is extremely short. His, his time of being the, the prince of, of this world is, is soon to be cut short. And I'm, I, just, I, don't, I don't know if there's any additional scripture that talks about that, but I, I, I fully believe that he's going to be spending his time in torment rather than overseeing events. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a strong no. Yeah, Satan is going to have no, no influence in hell. Uh, we keep pointing out in Revelation 11 that that was the seventh trumpet, and yet we still got all these other chapters. And, and what's unfolding here is just the, the final blow and just the layer by layer of Satan's final attempts and whatever tactics he's using and whatever things in the world that he's using, whether that be you know, economy or, you know, countries or nations or powers or whatever. And God is just taking them out, taking them out, taking them out. And as it comes towards the very end of all things, Satan is done away with and everybody that's ever been focused on him by, by not being focused on God is done away with. And the only other category left are those that are saved. And they're in heaven forever, and everybody else is in hell forever. One of the questions that came up, I think the very first night or the second night, and I was, I was here for both of those, and we had a little discussion on it, but we tried to push all good questions towards that last night that I wanted us to get to, and so I think that leads us right into it, which kind of answers that. Is the big question of, is, is the presence of God in hell? Do y'all remember that question? That came out, I think somebody sitting in the middle said it the very first night, and we talked about that, because the Bible seems to say both things, and I remember Josh was leading it, but I was sitting over there, and I remember saying, well, we need to remind ourselves that a lot of times we see the Bible say two things at the same time, and both can be true. Um, and so, is God's presence in hell? Because you've always heard people say it all the time, that hell is being cast away from the presence of God, Right? Well, it sounds like that that's what a unbeliever would like. Get me away from God, get God away from me, and we'll just be all fine and happy. And that's not exactly what's true. And so the Bible seems to say both things, and I'll, I'll tie it into what your question was in just a minute. Um, the Bible seems to say that the, the suffering, the eternal suffering, is in the presence of God. That's part of what makes it what it is, that God is the one who has put you there, that God is the one who is keeping you there, God is the one who has designed that place, God is the one who has put the rulers uh, that, that led you to that place, the devil and his angels in that place, and so the presence of God is there. You might remember um, that was Revelation 14.10 that says this, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur. Listen to this. In the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. It says right there, remember that phrase? That's Revelation 14.10. We talked about this the first two nights that we did this. It says right there in Revelation 14 that the judgment in hell, it's, it's the very next verse is the one I read about 10 minutes ago where it says, 
the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. That's the same verses back to back. And it says that the presence of the Lamb of God is there, which is Jesus. It says it right there. Okay? Now, but we have other places in the Bible, and, and I think there are several of those where the judgment is cast away, right? The, the Matthew 25 that we just read is get away from me into the eternal fire uh, forever, right? Uh, it says it specifically in Second um, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. It says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Does everybody hear that? So 2 Thessalonians 1.9, away from the presence of the Lord forever. Revelation 14.10, in the presence of the Lamb forever, right? So I remember that being a big question the first couple nights, and so I had, I had been studying on that. Um, as you all know, things get lost in translation sometimes, and in the English, in the presence of, doesn't always necessarily mean exactly in the presence of, uh, and I think this Revelation 14.1, we do have some Wycliffe employees with us here today who may be able to, you know, instruct us a little bit better on that and praise the Lord for it, but as what I was seeing is that the Revelation 14 is more so uh, in the sight of, more so in the presence of, and there may be that, just that simple distinction there. Uh, but that, that's a big one, okay? And so to, to connect that to what your question was, hell is never a thing outside of God's put you there, God's in charge of that place, God is the authoritative one over that, God has authority over everything. And I mentioned that a little bit this morning in bringing up Job. Remember me bringing up Job? In, in the book of Job, God is never phased or worried or taken back or even bombings by the devil. He's in charge of the devil. He allows the devil to do some things, but he's never like, you know, this, this language of war that we heard this morning should never make us think, oh no, God, God's in a fight and he might lose it. Okay. It, that, that wasn't happening in Revelation, right? Remember, Revelation did not say that God and the devil were fighting. That's one way where Christians or people speak inaccurately about the Bible when they leave. That was not in the conversation this morning. That was not in the sermon this morning. Michael and his angels and the devil and his angels were fighting, and the devil didn't even beat them. All right? God was not fighting them. God has already defeated them. They're not going to be able to fight God. And so God's presence reigns over the eternal judgment and punishment. And so the devil's not going to have any joy or effort there. Great question. Great question. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for that. I've heard it put, even hell is God's hell. Yeah. He is, he is the king of that domain. He, he, is not, he is not giving up control to anyone. It is his 
just as everything else is. And I, I, just to, to Josh's point, in, uh, in the CSB, uh, the translation is that they will pay the penalty that doesn't have a destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. So it, it doesn't have away from. It says because of is what, it's, what it sounds more like. They will, they will face eternal destruction and pay the penalty because of the Lord's presence and the Lord's strength. All right, another question? Yes, sir. So I'll repeat it so Josh can answer first. So the, the question was, uh, knowing these things about hell and understanding the eternality and, and all of that, when we're counseling someone who has lost a loved one and they believe them not to be a believer in Jesus Christ and they believe that they may have gone to hell, how would we counsel them and how would we provide comfort to them in that time? Yeah, that's extremely hard. And that's, that's, that's actually really common. You know, that, that's, that's kind of uh, what we do. And, and every one of you all have been in scenarios like that. You've had friends or, or coworkers or maybe not always family that dies that doesn't know the Lord, but uh, that, that's pretty common. Um, I think there's a real sense that um, we can always tell people to trust the Lord He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. He's good. He's your father. He loves you. Um, but I think there's also a real sense where, and we're going to end tonight by making sure that we're gripped by this reality of hell, okay? And I, but there's also a saying this, but we must be gripped by this reality of hell, okay? We must. But there's also a real sense where I don't think you should think about it too much, Okay, and I, I don't take that as me going soft on hell, but I do want us to hear that we don't need to think about that too much. And, and here's kind of what I mean. Um, now, I don't know exactly scenario of, of each one that we may be thinking of, but there are lots of situations where we don't ultimately know. We don't ultimately know. Uh, this morning I talked about sharing with the football team. Did I, did I talk about sharing with the football team in my sermon? I may have done that in Sunday school. Was that in Sunday school or was that in the sermon? You talk about the coach in, in church. Oh, I talked about the coach. Then I told the story during, the, during Sunday school. Um, at the football dinner Friday, I told the story of the two criminals crucified beside Jesus. They had probably never heard that before. And I've, I've told this a lot, and I, I like recalling this. Everybody, for the most part, that spent their lives knowing those two criminals think or thought that both criminals went to hell, right? There weren't many people out there watching the crucifixion. There wasn't microphone on Jesus as he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is recorded for us in Holy Scripture. The people that were there that day probably didn't know that, right? They had admitted we're dying justly for our sin. They had not become Christians. 
So by and large, nearly everybody that knew those criminals thought they're lost. And I don't know if they believed in hell, but if they did, they thought, those guys are probably going to hell. You see what I mean? And so there's a very real sense that there are people that get saved that we didn't know about, even at their last days or last hours or last minutes, that are saved, and so we don't know. And so in some ways, okay, again, I don't know what situations we're talking about, and every situation is different, but there's a good way to comfort somebody in saying, you don't know all the details in their heart. You don't know all the details of what God was doing with them. All right? And then to the part where you might have a pretty clear indication, oh, man, that person was pretty lost and they're not, they're not saved, uh, I think that's where you go to counseling them in different ways, like we've learned from Job. There may not, anything, may not be anything great to say there. There may be a life to live alongside them. There may be a friendship to walk alongside them. There may be the ministry of presence, which you've heard of that before. This may not be the time to try to explain away Right? There's some things that you're not talking yourself out of. If somebody's lost in their sins and dying and going to hell, you can't sugarcoat that. You can't. You're not going to go over there and talk them into smiling and joking. And that's a lot of times what you do. You, try, you know, you got a kid that had a bad day at school and you talk through it and you're like, well, let's go get some ice cream, man. Let's forget about that, man. The weekend's here, right? And you just eventually try to spin it to let's get happy. You don't do that with hell. So there's a real sense there, and your question was, how would you counsel them? You don't try to do it like that if it's, if it's glaringly obvious that this is what this looks like. I said a lot there, but hopefully that helps. That's a huge question. Those are the types of questions that, 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 that matter most to me, and I, I think to all four of us, in just trying to have a discussion on hell in our church. I really don't want us to become, you know, just better on paper and not deeper in, our, in our, our heart with our belief on hell. I've, I've not done as many funerals or counseling for funerals as, as, as Josh has, uh, but uh, he's helped me tremendously in some difficult situations like that, and um, I, I couldn't agree more with, with what he said. Uh, it's always easier for us to do a funeral to counsel with a family that's lost a loved one who was a, a believer, right? Because for us, there's hope in, in death, right? It, we're not looking at it the same way that the world does. Uh, we, we've talked about that many, many times in, in sermons. And if you guys have been with the Lord, any funerals that, that we've preached, you hear us preach that. And we, we preach about being home with the Lord and how, how blessed and wonderful that is. And as much as we're sad, we have hope in Christ and hope for a reunion with them in heaven. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do funerals for people who are not believers, and especially if the family is questioning that. And the, the things that Josh has said are absolutely the right things to do, to, to try to provide um, comfort where you can, but we have to stay with the truth, and sometimes being present is the best thing. And, and it, happen, I mean, it, it happens all the time. I mean, we get asked that all the time. Almost at every death, somebody will say, where do you think they went? Or I don't think, I don't think they knew God. I mean, I, I hear in my role, in my job, and what my life is, I hear that all the time. I heard that this week. I heard that yesterday. I had somebody tell me yesterday that. I mean, that happens all the time. So, But when you're preachers like us, we go to lots of funerals. 
<laughs> lots of funerals. So, all right, another question. We have less than ten minutes left. I want to make sure we leave on a very uh, up- uplifting and-, and strengthening note. But we-, we do have time for another question or two. Please. Uh, this is small. I don't. I don't think there needs to be a lot said on it. But um, I think it's good for you all to hear that if if hell's not real, then heaven's not real. Okay. I think y'all need to. I need y'all to be reminded of that. Okay. So all the comforting that people have been trying to do throughout the history of the world of they're in a better place, that ain't true. If 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 hell isn't true, forms us. On, so you need to need to remember both of those. And just about as soon as you know that the Bible is what informs us on what we believe, the Bible says that both of those are true, all right, well then how do I get there, okay? How do I get there? What's right? What's the way? And, and, uh, and we, we can get going, but remember, that's the very question that Thomas asked Jesus in John 14. How can we know the way? Remember that, John 14? And Jesus said, I am the way. That's so good. All right, any other questions? A big one that comes up all the time that we need to hear again is who all goes to hell? And I get asked all the time, will somebody go to hell if they never heard? I was really moved this morning by Marcus' story about the lady receiving just a portion of the Bible for the first time, right? I hope y'all were moved by that too. That's awesome. That's the very work that uh, the laymans and, and, and the people they work with are doing is trying to make that happen. And there's fruit there in that they know people that are receiving it. And there's lots of people that are always receiving the scriptures for the first time, okay? And, um, but what about the people that don't have it? and have never had it, and therefore they've never heard of it. And that's not just people that are, that are way out there. Just a couple years ago, we were heading to a baseball game and a kid needed a ride, and uh, we were gonna read the Bible in the car on the way to the ball game, and I asked him if they ever read the Bible, and he said to us, what, what is the Bible? This is a kid that lives right here in Fairdale, going to a baseball game with, with us. So do people go to hell that don't know of God, don't know of truth, don't know that they're also don't know of Jesus? And, and, and I hope that y'all know, okay? We need to wake up to it. There are increasingly, at an extremely fast pace, more and more and more and more people in our midst that do not know the gospel. Okay? So that's a question that comes up a lot. And what we believe and what the Bible teaches is that everybody that sins, everybody that has sinned will be judged by God. And the only way to escape the judgment is through the salvation through Jesus Christ. And so if you've sinned, you'll be judged to eternal punishment in hell. So that means 
everybody except those that love Jesus. Everybody. Not because they've heard or not heard, but because they sin. Because they sin against a good, holy, and just God. I hope you feel that. I hope that sits heavy with you. And I hope that motivates you to go and do something about it. That's, that's what it's supposed to do. It's the way the truth of God works. But I want to do something about it. I want to tell everybody I can. All right, any other questions? Yes, ma'am. That's a great question. We got our uh, pastor up here that specializes in youth and children and kids and babies. So we're going to let Pastor Matt answer that one. Great question. The question is, what about babies? If a baby dies, does it go to hell? So we believe that for babies and for those who may be born with some sort of mental incapacity where they're not able to understand or, or, or conceptualize um, things, uh, those who are, are handicapped in some form of way, um, that there is grace from God for them. We believe that if children, babies that die, that they uh, would be in heaven with the Lord. Uh, and where we, we get that understanding is not because there's a scripture that explicitly says in these scenarios this happens, but we would look at um, King David in talking about the loss of his child. It was his expectation that he would see him again when he was gathered home with his fathers to be with, with God. And so for us, that was the expectation that King David had. I think that there is uh, potentially another place in scripture that we would look at to see where um, Christ encourages the children to come to him. Uh, and and I, I think that there's the, the, the paper that I've read that has helped me the most, uh, Albert Moeller, uh, who is uh, the uh, leader at the Southern uh, Theological Seminary, has written a paper on this exact topic. It's a, it's a brief paper, it's an easy read, but... Um, he goes through scripture and, and justifies and explains that uh, it is his belief as it is mine that, that children who die, whether it's you know when they're in utero that miscarried or aborted or anything like that, that they're present with the Lord. And then once they're born and they're little babies, if something happens to them and, the, and they die, that they would also be uh, welcomed in heaven with the Lord. Um, and then we, we talk about... Um, when children become aware or cognizant of, of their own sin and things like that. And um, I don't think that there's a specific age that's assigned to that. I would agree with you when, we, when you say that we're born, we're sinners when we're born, right? Uh, but I, I think God handles children and those who are unable to understand uh, differently than those of us who are aware of, of our sinfulness and understand our need for a savior. And I would say that they would be when they, when they pass, they would be with the Lord. 
That's a, that's a good question. Thank you for asking that. And I'm also encouraged to hear you say that you know that they're sinners. A lot of times people will shape that discussion on what happens to babies, that babies are innocent or something like that, but uh, babies are not innocent. The babies are, all people are born into sin, and we sin because we're sinners. And so ba- sinful babies grow up to be sinful people, all right? And so that, the way you worded that question was, was really good, so thank you for that. All right? Uh, One final question. Yes. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Miss, uh, it is 654. And I was, I was hoping that we were going to get out of here without that one. That one got brought up just, <laughs> just a couple Sunday nights ago. That was the big one. So that one says what you said it says. You're right. He went and visited the souls in prison. That's what the Bible says about it, right? But the Apostles' Creed says he descended into hell, right? Yes. Yeah, and so that's, that's the big thing. For that... I'm going to say that, that's another day. We did discuss it that night, but uh, I, I think we're uh, out of time tonight to try to get deep into that. And I, would, I would love to have that discussion. That, that's loaded on a lot of levels. First of all, what does the Bible say? Let's talk about the passage there. That's a very complicated passage to deal with to begin with. That's Jude and Second Peter that both say that that you're talking about. Um, what, what does that mean and does it mean that? And then you get into the Apostles' Creed and how good it is of a creed and how faithful it is and do we believe it and why would it say that and, you know, and what do we do? And uh, more or less, lots of people think that, that that's true and lots of people think that it's not. We had a family here the other day say they, were, they quote the Apostles' Creed in their home all the time. They say that part, uh, but they skip that part, right? And then we had families that say they quote the Apostles' Creed in their home all the time and they say that part, you know? So lots of different thoughts on that. I think... I think there was a book, and it slips my mind right now, there was a book just written in the last year, a new fresh book by a good author that's all about that, okay? So maybe we can have more discussion on that very thing. I know that we haven't studied the Apostles' Creed here in a really, really long time. Um, But yeah, so we're not, I'm not gonna be able to answer that anymore tonight, okay? Good good question though. Um, I want to end tonight in our, in our last couple minutes to bring you back to the very passage that we started with, okay? Matthew chapter 25. And, and, and I feel this on a deep level, and I really think that all believers ought to feel this on a deep level, okay? In Matthew chapter 25, it's that final judgment. It's the passage we read where Jesus says, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And in the last verse, 46 says, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I mean, this is some heavy stuff, right? But what is the context of that condemnation, judgment, punishment right there? And the context of it is, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. They are sent to hell because they didn't do those things to God. 
So the natural question that comes up is, verse 44, then they will answer saying, Lord, when? I mean, if Jesus were here tonight, wouldn't we pull out the food and the drink and the clothes and the hospitality team and welcome? And if we heard that Jesus in prison, wouldn't we go there and visit him? I mean, everybody's going to say, when? When did I have the opportunity? They ask, when? In verse 45, Jesus will answer them saying, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And the least of these is hard to identify, but the least of these at at minimum has to be the people in the world, okay? And we can start with believers, the believers in the world that are hungry, thirsty, naked, strange, unwelcome, in prison, all of that. And so there's a real aspect of the Christian life that follows Jesus that says, everything about my life has a mind toward my good Father in heaven that is my loving Savior that is also my judge. And I live my life based off being what he wants me to be in my salvation that's lived out in Christ. May you and I hear, okay, in this passage that the context is over, did you feed him when he was hungry? And the verses before that, the people that go to heaven did. All right? And there's a lot there, but we need to make sure that there are passages like that, the least of these passages, that never slip our mind. That this conversation on hell, which was our call to worship tonight, which Josh Womble put together, Matthew 25, 41 through 46, eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hey, you people go there. Why? Because you didn't do these things to me. When did we have the chance? When you didn't do it to them, you didn't do it to me. And that's heavy. And the Christian life is to be lived. Eyes on Jesus, our Savior, living the way he wants us to live. Eyes on Jesus, our Savior, living the way he wants us to live. And the people that don't, final comments, will be judged by him. Matt, any, any final comments? Uh, the scripture reference that I gave uh, for uh, King David would be in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, if you wanted to, to look that up about the, the child, about him going to the child. And then just to kind of go uh, along with what Josh was saying, in Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, scripture says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Our Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. His desire is that they would believe upon his son Jesus Christ for salvation. And as we think about hell, that's, I believe, what we should be more focused on, as opposed to just focusing on hell itself. We should be focusing on telling people about Jesus Christ. Hell needs to be part of that discussion, yes, but just as God is not just love, our conversation about God cannot just focus on hell. Yeah. Yeah, two two final things. Ask God to move your heart toward I don't want people to go to hell. Your heart needs to stay there. 
The believer's heart needs to stay there. I don't want people to go to hell. All right? And then let's move our heart one step further to where we say, I'm going to do what I can to keep people from going there. I'm going to do what I can to keep people from going there. On Friday during the football dinner, the phone rang. And it was a, a homeless person in Fairdale. At morning, the lady, do you all have any food? And as I said this morning, the ladies in the kitchen were all over it. Boxed them up a full meal. Uh, everything, drinks and everything. And uh, we, got it, we got it to the people that needed it. And that was great. And in a, in, in a short little conversation, because we were doing the football dinner, I was able to tell that person, I said, listen, we are so needy before God. Not you, we are. We know that. We need God to help us so very much. I said, and until you realize that you need God to help you so much, you just keep knowing that we'll help you so much. We don't want anybody to go to hell. And when your heart starts feeling, I don't want you to go to hell, I don't want them to go to hell, then we start moving toward what can I do about it? So we labor and love and sacrifice and preach and we go and we send and we do everything we can. May God make us that way. Let's end with prayer. Now, Father in heaven, we thank you for your scriptures. They are informing us and instructing us. They are enlightening our hearts and minds. God, your faith, your truth is what is illuminating our faith. It is the lamp and light to our path and to our way. God, this morning we heard that the devil has blinded the unbelievers in this world. Well, your salvation has opened our eyes to your glorious truth and to the ugliness of hell. Father, we don't want anyone to go to hell. We pray, Father, that you would make us have hearts burdened for people to go to heaven. And we pray, dear God, that you would use our lives and use our church and use everything that we do toward that end. Father, we thank you that your son Jesus is a savior from hell and judgment. And we worship you tonight, pray. Thank you for our conversation, discussion tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thank you all for being here.